On today's episode of Way Down in the Hole, we start the final season of The Wire. I discuss why it's the most disappointing season in the show's history. We also recap the best scenes from episode one and tell you what things we saw that aged the best. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Shit never fucking changes. If they left me up and running when Marla was on them cell phones, I'd have had them a year ago. See? But they can't do the right thing. It ain't in them. Now we're back on Marla's ass. We need to be on it 24-7. The motherfuckers cut her overtime. And they shopped our best surveillance van. Don't even think about trying to requisition a new fucking digital camera. They want to do it on the cheap. Shit news town. You think? Those bodies in the houses last year, they got a lot of play. And they didn't even solve it, right? We're still authorizing overtime, and the state's attorneys are still signing court slips. You ain't fucking paying us. All right, welcome everybody to Way Down in the Hole. We are at the final season, man. Yeah, we back. We back. We, we back. We in the final season, season five. Coming to you hot with episode one, which is called More With Less. I need to get a few things out of the way with season five so I can officially go on record. Okay. I hate it this season. Least favorite you season of The Wire. Least favorite. And I'm hoping that this rewatch, I will have a different impression. And hating a season in The Wire is not like hating other seasons of television. Like, right. even their shittiest is still better than probably 70% of the television out there. Right? right? So... Uh-huh. It's hatred with an asterisk. I just thought The Wire was better than this. I realized that this was a bit of a tough season because they didn't think they were coming back, which is the story of The Wire. It was a shortened season, only 10 episodes. So they kind of had a lot of things that weren't going in their favor, but it was just, I just thought for a show, I should say, that always traffics in realness, that this was one of the more absurd things that they tried to pull off. Like this didn't feel like... this didn't have the novel feel that the rest of them had. This felt like actual TV. And I right. don't think that's a good space for The Wire to be in. Am I being too harsh on season five? Well, like you said about season five, season five is kind of like the wackest, smooth magazine cover girl. <laughs> okay. She wackier than the other ones, but you'll still smash. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you ain't kicking season five out of bed. Right. You ain't kicking right. season like, five. You still hit it. But... You know, you still, you know. But and for me, I think that I'm actually on this rewatch. I've actually been able to uh, uh, sort of appreciate some things about season five that I maybe wasn't before because in doing this show, it gives you sort of a different lens in which to view the show. And doing this podcast, I should say, gives you a different lens in which to view the show, and you're vi- you're you're viewing it more critically, and you're breaking it down scene by scene, and really. When you look at season five, even though there's something that happens in the scene in, in the season that everybody is very notorious, everyone thinks it's whack. I think it's whack too. There, are some of my favorite moments and some of the biggest moments in the show uh, happen in this season, and they're more than enough. It's more than enough there to say it's actually a good season of television. If you're talking about whether or not it holds up next to some of the other seasons of this particular show, then I think yeah, it probably doesn't. You know what I mean? It probably doesn't hold up next to. Some of the stuff that we saw in season four, obviously, 
some of the stuff, obviously season one, season three, season two. But to me, I enjoyed season five on the rewatch. I think maybe because I had lowered my expectations of what I was going to see from it again, but also because season five is a good season. Okay, it's not but a complete I think you, you piece said something very key, though. You said that there's a lot of really big moments in season five, which I totally agree. But it's just the storytelling isn't as good. But they give you like they give you big bang moments where you're like, oh, shit. But it's just not wrapped up in the same intricate, nuanced storytelling that I think I had come to expect of The Wire. Well, there are some things, especially even in this first episode, we're going to talk about they're a little on the nose. They're gonna. They're a little on the nose. McNulty's character in this season is more on the nose. He almost mutated into a super McNulty in this season. Rather, he wasn't biting around the edges of being out of line in this season. In this season, he goes way, way further, obviously, than we had seen him go before. And it was kind of an interesting way in which they did that as well. So a lot of people obviously have problems with that. And I'm not just talking about Obviously, the big deal uh, that we're going to get into. I'm talking about his his behavior overall. It was almost played up in, in a little bit of a caricature type way here. But there are also some other great things that go on in this season. I, I feel like I kind of bounce it out a little bit and give you at least a more even killed piece of television history than I think we remember it as. So as somebody who, you know, you're in media, but you obviously weren't specifically in newspapers. Mm-hmm. As a viewer, did you find the newsroom newspaper story arc interesting. Not really. That's what, that was my other concern. And I, I, I spent 10 years in newspapers before I got to, to ESPN. That was what I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be that for the rest of my life. So I intimately know all these situations that David Simon brings to life at the Baltimore Sun. And yet, as I was watching it, in, you know, in real time and also in the rewatch, yeah, I might find some of it interesting, but even as somebody who was a newspaper reporter, I found it to be kind of too inside baseball. I was like, there's no way the average person thinks this is interesting. It just doesn't fit the universe of the show as well as some of the other stuff does. The Wire started with a very specific premise, and it was sort of looking at the lives and how the lives of people had deteriorated uh, in West Baltimore, really all over Baltimore, from basically generations of neglect, right? And you could tie that into so many different structures. You could tie that to what was going on in the port. You could tie that to what's going on in schools. You could tie that to what's happening in City Hall, because those people are making the policy decisions that end up affecting those people's lives. The only thing that you can't really tie to it is the newspaper. Sure, the newspaper covers it, but it seems like an outlier. It doesn't really have that much to do with everything else that's going on. It's not directly connected like the schools. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to make any sort of a, that seems like a completely different show. You know, it's not directly connected, even though they try to, to what's going on with the police or to what's going on. It's, it's just not. It seems like a completely different show. They didn't sell the newspaper as being part of this ecosystem uh, as well as they did some of the other things. It felt like David Simon was honestly trying to get his gun off just because, mm-hmm. and, you know, as many people know, you know, he was a former reporter at the Baltimore Sun. He he did have, I believe, a bit of a contentious parting with them. And so a lot of people looked at this as him trying to get his revenge on the paper by bringing to light some of the issues that there are at newspapers and in media, which I totally understand, but it, it it just didn't fit everything else. So you have two competing storylines in season five. Neither one of them really, I mean, the, the newspaper becomes a vehicle for some some things later on that, you know, we'll kind of get to, but it, it didn't really mesh well with everything else. It wasn't giving us that panoramic view like mm-hmm. I, that's what I didn't like about season five is like we didn't get that panoramic view that we normally get in the wire. Like in season four, by looking at the educational system, you go into these kids' lives and you understand how they wind up on the corner and you understand the dysfunction they're living with at home and how all of that system feeds. You know, it's a Venn diagram. You get mm-hmm. it. With this, you're just like, wait a minute, what? What has this yeah. got to do with that? And how does that work with that? Like it just it happens it just kind of it happens it's like it's tangential to everything else it happens around the edges you know what i mean 
And it's kind of the crust of the bread that you could cut off and maybe get a better sandwich, you know, um, the newspaper stuff. So it, it now nah, I completely get it. Um, but having said that, you know, I love the character of Gus. Gus is a cool character. We're going to talk more about Gus in the future. I like some of the characters. I hate, like, we all know a Scott, right? And we're going to get into that. But still, it's, I, I find myself, I, I couldn't fast forward through the newspaper stuff because we're, analyzing the show for, you know, <laughs> but you wanted to though but I wanted to yeah but you wanted to and that and again as somebody in that business I did too a lot of it um, but just for context just to give some people some background so you know as I mentioned season 5 was again something that was a little bit put together it was rushed David Simon also didn't have his usual writing team for season 5 uh, Ed Burns who is his partner and has helped him who helped him create this wire world Uh, He had begun working on Generation Kill, which was another Simon's HBO miniseries. Mm -hmm. And so he really wasn't as involved in season five as he was before. George Pelicanos, also, you know, his right hand man on the writing side of things and, 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 and directing some episodes. He also wasn't on this season because he is an author by trade. And so he was working on uh, a novel. So David Simon didn't have his usual group with him that he had these uh, the the first four seasons and building this this kind of world and you kind of felt that is that there was some things there was some there was much bigger plot holes than you're used to seeing in the wire or much, many more things I, I know from time to time um, we do a we love this show but I have a lot of we though love this show buts in this whole season oh wow I right see. because mm-hmm. that's because it was it was many more holes I think in some of the plots than there was uh, in previous season that we've seen. Because there was nothing for you in a um, in season three or season four and even back to season one for us to go through an episode and be like, there was actually nothing wrong with this episode at all. But there's a lot that I definitely pinpoint in some of these episodes. All right, let's get to the recap. So, Carchetti, and, and by the way, in, in a time standpoint, it looks like we're like a year removed from when, you know, from season four. About a year and a, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Uh, not a year and a half, like a year and three months. That's about the time frame we're working with, so people should keep that in mind. So, uh, Carcetti, if people recall, in season four, in the, I believe in the final episode, he had gone to, or one of the last episodes, he had gone to the governor. Uh, he is $54 million short with the school system. He'd gone to the governor to get the money, and the money was on the table, and he decided not to take it. And now he is paying for a combination of pride, arrogance, and ambition. All of those things, because it has huge ramifications. He made all these promises to Daniels. Daniels makes all these promises to McNulty and reassembling major crime, the major crimes unit. And what do you know? None of that shit actually came to fruition. So the police department has been gutted, and that includes major crimes unit. And so <laughs> it feels like we're always back in this certain inertia with them. They're either on or, like, totally disbanded. Like, right, right. <laughs> one of the two. So... There's low morale throughout the police department because and a lot of anger among the cops because they're not being paid overtime. The city's barely making payroll. They're in a bad situation. Carcetti is like defunding the police without even knowing. Without even doing He's ahead <laughs> yes. of his time. <laughs> he is defunding the police. Um, and there's another thing. We're not used to seeing major crimes being outsmarted. And Marlo, much like he has been with everything else, with Avon, with all the situations he's been in, he is like not just two steps. He's like five steps ahead of the police. Um, and five steps ahead of Lester Freeman in particular. And we're not used to seeing him in this position. So before they even get disbanded, they have made no progress on Marlowe whatsoever. And he knew the police were watching him. So he's leading them on wild goose chases. He's, um, you know, just basically uh, kind of toying with them because he knows that they don't have shit on him. And he's kind of using it to his own advantage. Speaking of Marlowe, he's also uh, starting to sow some division in the co-op. Yes. Prop Joe got him to be a part of the co-op. He joined. And uh, this is one of those things where be careful what you wish for, because Marlo is already showing that he has an agenda. We are not fully clear at this point what that entire agenda is, but he definitely has one. McNulty, back to his old tricks, as in being a trick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he's disgruntled. He's back to being an alcoholic and he's back to cheating. So poor Beatty. And as we just discussed, there's a whole new element, a whole new world that David Simon introduces in season five. And that is the newspaper world. Um, And in many ways, it's parallel to what we've seen from the police department 
uh, massively underfunded. At this point, when the season of the uh, this season of the wire was out, newspapers were going through a really big change. A lot of them were used to these incredible profit margins that were unrealistic to keep up. So many newspapers during the mid 2000s, like 2005, 2006, they had to start trimming quite a bit. And so you have the Baltimore Sun, which by the way does uh, certainly had a really good reputation of being a writer's paper. Now they're kind of paying the cost for not being able to meet these pro- uh, these profit margins. So there's a lot happening in the newspaper world. And you also have some new characters as a result of this new newspaper world. You have Scott Templeton, an ambitious young reporter, white guy, who is very thirsty to be a name and to move up and to climb. You have Alma Gutierrez, who Mm -hmm. is a very steady reporter who's just trying to learn and figure things out. And then you have Gus. That's who Gus Haynes, who's played by Clark Johnson. He's an editor at the Baltimore Sun, and that is who we're going to take a character deep dive into I love Gus as a character, but realistically, there's not a lot of Gus's in newspapers. Interesting. (laughs) No, not a lot of Gus's. I I, I worked with one Gus in the course of my journalism career, one that I could think of. I I worked at, I worked with versions of Gus, but I really, I was very fortunate to work with a Gus when I was uh, a sports columnist at the Orlando Sentinel. Um, He's incredibly smart. He's a real journalist, diehard journalist. He believes in... You know, he believes in in what the ethos of journalism is, which is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so Gus is old school. He's a newspaper man is what we would refer to him in this business. And he's the conscience of this entire newspaper. And you could tell that just in this first episode, you know, the fact that he's so knowledgeable, that he's clearly been a reporter before. Because there's a lot of editors that you work with in newspapers who've never been reporters before. Gus has been in the weeds. He's been in the thick of things. He's been on the front lines. And that's why his experience is what it is. That's why he can look at a a city hall budget and catch something, a small detail that becomes a really big story when he caught that detail about the city basically horse trading with Fat Face Rick and put that on Madam President Norris. So that's an editor that is a unicorn in the business of newspaper to some degree, Honestly, you would almost say it's like completely unrealistic. I think I've always thought when watching The Wire season five, I've always thought Gus was really David Simon. Mm. Like that's he was writing himself. Like that's that's, he he said, that's how he sees himself. That's how he sees himself as being like one of the last true diehard newspapermen. Right. I mean, look, I don't know any Gus's and I don't want to know. Because, <laughs> okay. you know, sometimes Van likes to kind of jerk it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like to tell a tall tale, you know? (laughs) Stretch it, stretch the truth a bit. Stretch it, stretch it. Or maybe not even that, not not in terms of like when I was working, certainly not when I was working at TMZ, no. But just like, you know, overall, I like to, I like to have a lax work environment. I like to have a work environment that where, where there is no Gus because Gus doesn't just want you to like, uh, have all your shit straight in your story. Gus also wants you to like be there on time, and all, you know what I mean? And, you know, not take long lunches, not go for six walks a day and all of that stuff like that. So when I see the Gusses, I normally negotiate around them. They do a great job in sort of making the case of how the newsroom is almost an appendage on his body. Like he, it's it's almost connected to him. Like it's part of like, it thumps like with his heartbeat. He walks around, he touches everybody. He stands up, he talks to everyone at once. And it seems as if he's knowledgeable about so many different aspects of what's going on in there. There's almost nothing that can happen inside that newsroom that he's not just a little bit involved. And to be honest with you, you know, I have been in a newsroom before, and that's sort of how, like, Harvey was. Harvey didn't have a desk away from everybody else. He had a desk right there in the newsroom. Everyone stand up, say, hey, we need a story, all of that stuff. Same stuff. It's just like normally when that stuff would happen, everybody else would be like, we got to get a store. And I'd be like, man, shit, I'm about to go ahead and get some peanuts, dog. I'll be right back. <laughs> I don't know this, you know, what's going on. But no, but seriously, you know, you can tell just by the way they start the character that that guy is going to have some sort of issue. You can tell that not that he's going to have some sort of issue, that there's something that he's fighting for. A lot of times when you talk to Gus, either it's completely active in the moment, 
he's talking about something that's happening right now. It seems super important. Or he is sort of hearkening back to the times of yesterday. They don't do this anymore and blah, 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 blah. And this is like a real fucking newspaper. Or even the scene where they're watching the fire. Something's burning. You, uh, you wonder what it might be? Hey, I'm not the police reporter. But you call Twig, though, right? At least he's a columnist. He's paid to sit on his ass. What's your excuse? Just left him in the smoking lounge, hit him on a cell. What kind of people stand around watching a fire? Some shameful shit right here. One of the best scenes of episode one. You know, you come in and you see two people that are looking at a fire that are in a newsroom, and only one of those people thinks there might be a story there. They are doing something clearly to separate the way Gus looks at the city and at the newspaper than the new generation of people that are there. So it's just, it, they, they do a lot to make sure you know that what you're talking about, this is an old school newsman, and he's not going to, he's, not only does he smell a story, but he smells bullshit. But the character is very, very expertly played. You don't get any long, drawn-out speeches. You don't get any, you know, there used to be a time where this city relied on one group of people to get their truth. That group of people is us. So when you guys sit down in these desks, don't think of yourselves as newspaper reporters. Think of yourselves as truth soldiers fighting a war in the streets of Baltimore every single day to deliver that thing that everybody needs to live their life better. That thing called the T-R-U-T-H. You know, other shows will play it up. I just came up with that shit off the top of the head, by the way. Did you really? Uh, I was like, is that from a movie? That I no, 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 no. <laughs> no, um, other, other shows would give him that, but The Wire doesn't. And that's kind, of, that's kind of something about his character. I like Gus. Don't love the newsroom stuff, but I definitely like Gus. Yeah, I mean, Gus, he said something. He said a lot of things that registered with me. And again, it just made me feel really nostalgic about working in the newsroom. You know, one of the things that was kind of you know, it took some getting used to when I crossed over to the television world is like a television newsroom operates totally different than a newspaper, you know, newsroom. And in a newspaper newsroom, you really cannot have thin skin because people argue like all the time, you know, argue over stories, news judgment. I'm sure they did the same thing at TMZ. So when Gus was like, know what a newsroom is, a magical place where people argue about everything all the time, he's exactly right. That is 100% a newsroom. But in TV, people are more sensitive. Like, and they aren't as, even though you can be told some harsh shit as a television person, but because you're dealing a lot of times in the producer role with people who might be younger than you, mm -hmm. people who have never covered some of the things that you have, they take everything so much more personally. And I had to adapt not necessarily how I talk to people, because, I mean, I don't talk to people all reckless or anything, but I thought argument was part of the deal. That's what you right. do as a journalist, right? And so, because you're everybody's trying to get the story right. Everybody's trying to make sure that the best news judgment is exercised, but it doesn't necessarily work that way. The great thing about Gus, and I tell younger journalists this all the time, he is the number one trait you have to have as a journalist. He's curious. He mm -hmm. saw fire smoke. And he wanted to know what the hell happened over there. Right. As the rest of them are looking around like, oh, yeah, should we do something about that? Yeah. Right. It's a fire. You're the Baltimore Sun. Go cover it. Right. right. That's what you have to do. You have to go out and find some news. And while I would agree with you, an editor like Gus is in many ways will be the bane of your existence. Probably not the most pleasant person to work with because they're always in your shit. But right. at the end of the day, you're going to be a much better journalist dealing with a Gus than you would anybody else. Cause they're going to make you, true. yeah, they're going to make you come with it. Like there are right. no shortcuts. Like you gotta, and they're, they're going to be fact checking you. They're going to be asking why you did something like that. That whole scene about, uh, you know, people can't be evacuated. That's the most newspaper shit of all time. Like yeah, that's I the type that of shit you sit up there and, and argue about a newsroom for like argue for hours. Right. Like, can people be evacuated? Like, it's the most nerdiest journalism shit ever. <laughs> Which is why I was like, you know, I, I may find that interesting. And I'm like, yeah, I remember times we'd be arguing about semicolons and whether or not, what was the point right. of them, right? right? But I'm like, I don't know if the average person is sitting up there like, you know what? That's really awesome to learn that people can't be evacuated from buildings. I thought that actually worked. I was Did like, you? Okay. yeah, I was like, huh, okay. I'm not listening to that shit. I still would say 100 people were evacuated from a building. But I thought that that was actually kind of interesting. Okay. 
All right. Well, I take that back. They, they have found it interesting, so therefore it must be interesting. But the main thing people should understand about Gus is that he's the conscience. And I think generally in The Wire, David Simon does a really good job of establishing who the conscience is of a particular institution. Like for a while, right. Kima was the conscience of the police or Lester's the conscience. Like it's got to be somebody that you can look to and say, you know what? Like this is the soul of uh, of this place. This is who we should be. And I love the fact that Gus is the type of person who is just not going to let bullshit get past him. He's just yeah. like, he's not here for that. But like everything else on The Wire, if they show you the conscious, then you're going to get the devil. Ooh. So they like if they if they show you the if they show you who's supposed to be the conscious, you know pretty soon you're going to get the devil on the other side of the shoulder. You know that that's going to happen. Well, they already established this in this newsroom culture because it is Gus against the machine of the Baltimore Sun. He's got top editors above him who are clearly clueless, and so right. that is going to be the fight. And from a realness standpoint. It's very accurate because I can't tell you how many times uh, working in newsrooms that, you know, you have a really smart editor who is just really swimming against the tide because the tide of executives who only sit in their offices and think of shit, dumb shit usually, in order, <laughs> right, in order to, to, to kind of prove how in touch they are with the community and they're not, as we saw from the meeting that they uh, we're having about the desegregation story where, like, that is some typical editor shit that would happen. It's like, how does white man go sit up here and tell somebody who's black about, like, the racial problems at University of Maryland? It's like, right. that is, that encapsulates everything wrong or what, you know, what often can be wrong in media and particularly in newspapers. So, anyway, I won't bore you all with the details. I have plenty of newspaper stories that I'm sure I'll wind up sharing throughout the course of season five just because... David Simon with the newspaper part, though it doesn't fit, it's so on the nose about how a newsroom and how newspapers actually are. Mm -hmm. So there's our deep dive into one Gus Haynes. Now let's talk about some of the great scenes in this episode. Van, what do you got? So Marlo with the New Day Co. A lot, most of the great scenes in this episode double as Fathers Away for Laters. I agree. Most of them do. So Marlo disrupting trying to sow division in the New Day co-op. Why don't you let one of your juniors get a shot to open the county up? Let a fresh face get a shot at it. I know disrespect, son, but how I delegate to my lieutenants is not a co-op concern. <laughs> yeah, but how Slim feel about that, though? No, nah, I'm good where I am. Marlo, man, you're a little out of order here. Yeah, well, it's just a thought. Well, look, man, what's the percentage breakdown don't in the new territory anyway? I mean, that's the first thing. Yeah, but some shit that. here. Messy ass Marlo. That's his new name. Messy Marlo. That was some messy shit, but it was calculated. Very obviously. calculated. Very yeah. calculated. And Slim peeped it. Mm-hmm. Slim, Slim peeped it. Slim was like, yo, the wash Marlo. Marlo over here. He's snaking. He's snaking. Snaking in the grass. That was one of the, the scenes that I loved. McNulty coming back to homicide. When he comes back to homicide, did he basically check that guy? Yeah, he did. He was like, that's my desk. And I was like, why did this dude get up? Why did he get up? Like, he, he's scared of McNulty? Like, you know what I mean? A bushy top. <laughs> bushy top. The opening scene in which they play the kids, it's great. But at the same time, they are violating people's rights oh, left yeah. and right. And that is crazy. So can feel my heartbeat? Pops, yeah. If Marnell say I had the gun, he lying. Machine tells the tale, son. Did you and Monel shoot your boy Pookie down on Carey Street just like Monel said you did? No, nah, no. Lie. Fuck, man. Nigga can't never keep his damn mouth shut. I should have busted a cap and Pookie ass my own self. Like that is so crazy. It's one of the it's one of the funnier scenes in Wire history when they are playing these two guys against each other using the McDonald's trip. You mean to tell me that I have that down actually for we love this show, but... You don't think he's ever seen a copy machine? You don't ever think that that kid has seen a copy machine before? So he ain't spent one day in school? You see a Xerox machine in school, man. You go to the principal office, you pass by people, all they do... There's not one place in America where they copy more shit than a school. All they do is copy shit. Every time I would go in there to the principal's office, that copy would be going... And they definitely have seen a copier before. I just can't believe they haven't seen a copier before, man. 
but whatever. I, I I digress. For some reason, I like seeing Herc again. Really? For some reason, I like seeing Herc again. Gave me that warm, comforting feeling. Warm, comforting feeling. Carver in his new leadership position, as he is, I guess, doing the roll call or whatever with the rest of the cops, and he is seeing just how heavy <laughs> the crown can be on your head. He now has to do administrative stuff, stand up there in one of the worst possible times because these police officers have all sort of uh, lost a great degree. Now, now, they haven't lost their jobs, but they've lost a lot of their income. So he has to stand up there and kind of do that. Scott talking to Alma, where they're kind of going back and forth about whether or not they're happy where they are. Right there, that's also kind of a father's away for a later moment. You're seeing Alma is happy with the work that she's doing. She's happy at being at the sun. And Scott is saying, hey, I have all of these ambitions. And you start to wonder kind of like, what's with this guy? Right. It was a very good scene right there with a drink. You start to wonder, hey, this guy seems as if he could be a little off kilter in some kind of way. You want to weigh a little bit of the serial killer vibes right there. But my favorite scene is a scene It's not going to go down in wire lore or anything like that. My favorite scene is when Mike comes back to the block and Duke is running the stoop. Spider, you got to count for me? For you? No. Yo, we shut? No, we good. Got 60 left from Mark Assault 1400. We on it, Mike. So why you ain't tell Duke? Huh? Why you fucking with Duke, nigga? Yes, I ain't fucking with nobody, man. He just act like a bitch, that's all. Tell you why I love that scene. Number one, there's very few scenes where everybody's character is illustrated perfectly, right? Mike does not then flex on Spider for doing that. Mike doesn't raise up and beat Spider up for disrespecting his friend. He checked him about it, but when, when Spider comes back at him, Mike realizes that he's out there. Mike is now a professional. This is 15 months into Mike being a hitter and a hustler for Marlo. So Mike doesn't come back and beat him up. Be, no, nah, he's, he's got a quarter to run, a business to run. He knows if he does that, there's going to have to be some explanations. It's going to mess up the money. He just wants to talk to him about it. Mike has to be nimble, play his position. Right then, we see that Daquan is still having the same problem. He just cannot be accepted. He just can't be accepted. And we also, and I think another important component of that scene is that Mike, because despite how he's kind of become a new participant in this in this new world, he knows Spider's right. Yes, he does. And that that's the other reason why I think he didn't, mm -hmm. all he did was like sort of check him, but he agreed with his assessment. Because right. he knows that, look, Duke has a, spe a special set of skills. None of them involve running a stoop. None <laughs> okay? of them. Okay? That's them. not what he does. Which makes you wonder why Mike gave him that, why, why Mike had him out there in the first place. He was probably just trying to put him on, you know? Right. And just trying to put him on. They they obviously, him between, you know, uh, like Mike, Daquan, and Bug, they formed their own family now. Right. right. Like, and so he's probably just trying to put him on, make him feel good about kind of where things stand. He's clearly been abandoned by his own family. And maybe he wanted to give him a sense of self-worth. Right. But at the end of the day, Daquan's best skill is that he's a caretaker because he's got a nurturing soul. Right. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's his skill set, not being on the corner because if some shit go down, he's just going to get beat up. Right. Also, another mini little scene, kind of a little thing. We first see the first, ep we, we see the first glances of Bubs being clean. And we learn his real name, Reginald. Reginald, like it, that. I on on my rewatch, I forgot that this was the episode where we really where we learned his real name, and we also see that his sister, despite everything that's going on, has taken him back. And I'll tell you another saving grace about season five. Another saving grace about season five is this storyline. This storyline with Bubs and his his inability to come to terms with what happened to Sherrod, even though he is clean and has been clean for 15 months, that is going to anchor this season and be the redemption for this season more than anything else. The fact that after four years of watching this character who is genuinely magnanimous, like the gentleman dope fiend of Baltimore is who Bub is, who is genuinely like magnanimous, watching him climb up out of this hole, it is incredibly rewarding. Yeah. It's hard to watch sometimes, but incredibly rewarding. David Simon doesn't give you a lot of hope sometimes, right. you know, but it, it was in the character arc of, of Bubbles that you felt 
more hopeful and that everything wasn't constantly in the same spin cycle as before. Yeah. Inevitably, it all goes to shit. That seems to be the unofficial theme of The Wire. But there's one other storyline. I won't give it away. We'll get to it. There's one other storyline that I think is, it's equally redemptive, though not as well fleshed out as as Bubbles. Because we, you know, when we last left Bubbles, you know, he was in a lot of pain after what happened to Sherrod. And so you didn't know in that moment, like, man, is Bubbles going to make it back? I mean, he tried to kill himself right in the in the police interrogation room, right. you know? So he, we have, we feel like we have like really been on a journey with Bubbles mm-hmm. and have seen him at his best and at his worst and know that deep down he's a good guy. He's just caught up in addiction. So yeah, I, I would agree with you. He also looks like a Reggie. I was like, yeah, he looks yeah, like a Reggie. Reggie. Yeah, that's, little, that's him too. A little Reggie energy. Yeah. So some of my favorite scenes, uh, I noticed the same one about the copy machine. And I was thinking to myself, now, legally, it is okay for the police to lie to you to try to get you to tell on yourself. Is that, that true? Is, yeah. That is actually true. It is. That is actually legal. But I didn't know what was worse. The fact that at times within that, they were definitely violating his civil rights or the fact that my man had never seen a copy machine. I didn't know which one was worse. I was like, it might be the copy machine because if you're that age and you've never seen one, this is... Can they coerce you into a confession by making you think that you've been on a lie detector test? And then can they do that? Is that, I I really don't know. You'd be stunned at what the police can get away with. I mean, this is why a lot of times, a lot of confessions, when they come under certain circumstances, there's a lot of scrutiny because they do, they lie to you and tell you somebody else is telling on you, you know, just like with the McDonald's trick, like that's totally legal. Like they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to lie to get the truth, ironically. So just another reason, you know, why the police, they always want accountability for everybody else but themselves. Another good scene was was when Norman called out Carcetti for not taking the money from the governor. Yeah. You know, which is why he's there. You know, he said, you just a weak ass mayor of a broke ass city. The reality is like if he didn't have his eye on being the governor, he would have taken the money. He would have taken the money. Right. And that was that's what it would have been best for the city. The kids, the kid, because he wants to be the governor, the kids lost and the cops lost. Totally. And so now he's fucked and he right. deserves every bit of this because he let his own ambition, which was always the concern with Carcetti. Like he could do, he could in one minute lead you to believe that he really cared about governing. He really cared about making the quality of life for residents in Baltimore better. And then he'd do something that was so overly ambitious that you would just wonder, like, what is his real motivation here? Is he actually trying to be helpful? Is he trying to be a change agent? Or is he just another dirty-ass politician? But again, be careful what you wish for, because he's the one that thought that he could do a better job than Royce, and he just stuck back in the same situations that Royce was in because he let his own ambition get the best of him. I thought another good scene was when Bunk, Kima, Lester, and Jimmy were at the bar bitching about their lack of pay and how nothing uh, nothing really changes, and everybody too broke to buy around. That was good. <laughs> that was definitely good stuff. And when Daniels confronted Carcetti about like, hey, you made promises, man, when he's with yeah. the attorney general. And uh, it was a line that Daniel said that was, you know, that really summed up the situation. One thieving politician trumps 22 dead bodies. Daniels is finding that his faith in Carcetti was completely, you know, misplaced. Coming up next on Way Down in the Hole, we'll tell you who won this episode and give you some moments you definitely should file away for later. All that and more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got 
a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 40% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, now let's uh, talk about some of the things that age the best. What do you got? Well, one thing that aged the best is true believers. Gus is a true believer, and there's nothing more dangerous or <laughs> than a true believer. Scott just doesn't know it yet. Scott just doesn't know the danger of a true believer. Another thing is blind and wild, dangerous, reckless ambition. I think we are living in a time where we understand just how much ambition without any sort of uh, caring can hurt a bunch of people. You're seeing this all over again. Marlo, totally blind ambition right now. Totally blind ambition. People are going to get hurt. Carcetti, totally blind ambition right now. Like blind ambition, power grabs always end up hurting people. Like, if you don't care about what it is that you're doing, Carcetti's job right now, Carcetti's job right now is not to think about the governor's office. His job is to think about what he's doing. But he's like, well, like I said, but that's kind of, it's kind of something that people have, uh, they, they do now, excuse me, and they, they've, they've basically always done. They've always put the ambition cart before the caring horse. And that's something that just hasn't gone away. Uh, those are my two. What else did you have? All right. So I have, I think it was, uh, I think it's his name is Norris, the the white cop that was with Bunk in the beginning, um, in the opening scene. And he said something that unfortunately is unerringly true. And I think this last election on some degree definitely proved it. He said, what aged the best was definitely American stupidity. <laughs> we said, Americans are stupid people. We pretty much believe what we're told. And I was like, amen. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is true. Uh, another thing that aged the best, and not because it's a good thing to do, but because this is something women put up with everywhere when they're in that newspaper budget meeting talking about desegregation and University of Maryland apparently overcoming all his racial, pro racial problems. When one of the female editors starts talking, the male editor immediately overtalks her, completely ignores her, and then goes <laughs> on to try to tell black folks about race. And I was like, yeah, that's some white man shit right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that ages incredibly well. Yeah. I remember this happened to me. What? I had somebody once in a newsroom try to explain to me what a black funeral was. Somebody white? Yes. Okay. So. Van Lathan Sidebar. Van Lathan sidebar. First Van Lathan sidebar of season five. Whitney Houston had died. And when Whitney Houston died, it was like they were saying, it, they put out, I guess, the flyer from her, from, her, from her funeral and stuff like that. And it was like, Whitney Houston's home going. So wait, they had a flyer? They had something. Okay. There was a piece of art that had, that had come out and it was like a, like a home going, right? And they got it. And I remember we were in there and they were like, uh, it's a home going. It's actually a different type of more celebratory, blah, 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 this and this and that. And I was like, it's a funeral for black people. It's a funeral. We just call it a home going. She's religious. She's like her mother. She's a gospel singer. Whitney Houston's going home. It's the only reason why it's called a home going. Guarantee you, if you go to it, 
you won't see. No, 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 Van. I'm telling you. I'm like, I'm like, no. I'm telling you. There's no you're telling me. I'm telling you, I got 20 brochure, uh, uh, 20 fl- uh, programs. I got 20 t-shirts with the, I got all the, no, 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 no. You don't, no. You're making it seem like people about to be falling out and rolling in the aisles and all, all it's, it's a more celebratory fan. I'm telling you, we've done research. No, no. Let me guess, they looked at Urban Dictionary? Is that what it I was? don't know what they looked at. I'm p- getting pissed off now. <laughs> like, like, I am the research. I'm telling you that you're overrepresenting the differences in this and what's going on. I remember this whole thing was, and people got mad at me. They got mad at me like, like, oh, well, you know, if there's anything having to do Van with, 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 with black culture, we'll just ask Van. I'm like, you fucking right, you will, because you don't know what you're talking about. Like and it, and it gets to a point to where it gets a little bit, not even a little bit. Why am I mincing words? It gets to a point to where it gets fucking insensitive and disrespectful. Like you're you're, you're on there explaining. Think about that. You're on there explaining black funerals to white America. Let me tell you how they do it when they lay theirs to rest. It's very interesting. We're gonna go deep, 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 deep inside the grief of the Negro. And as we get deeper inside, you're going to see things that you've never seen before. You're going to see people sweating. You're going to see people speaking in tongues. You're going to see all kinds of things you never see on your block. Just stay with us. Do, do, do. I'm like, I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, y'all wilding a little bit. Whitney Houston is like, if you've ever been to a black church, it's not going to be very much different. And I've been to funerals. By by the way, I've been to funerals of non-black people before too. God rest their souls. It's not a lot different. People come up there. They talk. They sing a hymn. People break down and they cry. It's the same thing. There's music. It's, it's like whatever. This you guys are making it seem like it's funeral time at the Apollo, and I'm like, and, I, and I'm telling you, it's not that. But I, that was the first time it ever happened. But obviously, wasn't the last. But I can remember. I'm thinking to myself, Yo, am I tripping? And like, I, like, I, I call up my homeboy Ryan. I'm like, like Ryan. You know what a home going is, right? And he's like, a funeral. He's talking about like a like a funeral. Like, right. Do do we, am I tripping by sinking? And he's like, nah, bro. You're not tripping. It's about to start. You're up there with the white people. Pretty soon you're gonna move to Africa just like Dave Chappelle. That's what's gonna happen. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what's gonna happen to you. But no, that 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 thing actually happened. I will never forget that. Like we they that's were making crazy. a whole big deal. I wish I could find the 70s. They're making a whole big deal out about it. And I'm like, I get it. It's just not, you guys realize that it's, you know, you're not going to see any traditional Nigerian dances in the middle. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not that. Anyway. Well, that just reminds me of the coverage of the funeral itself. Um, Cause I believe Piers Morgan was on, might've been CNN. He was on one of the, the, the outlets who was covering her funeral live. And to hear him explain to the audience what they were seeing was hella amusing because it was, basically him trying to translate everything for white people. And it was just like, okay. It's like, and now here comes the part where they ask for an offering for the building fund. No, just right. right? It was just like So crazy. weird. Well, now, he, now, now here comes the part where one of the relatives <laughs> who we haven't seen in ages is going to get up and say something to where the entire crowd of people are going to start to think at the same time, Somebody get this motherfucker off the stage. <laughs> right. Which happens every, every time. Funeral. Oh my Some, god. Like, who is this guy? Is that his that's his uncle? I don't I don't know him. I ain't never seen him before. But let me tell you, young boys, about <laughs> something called Jesus and how you're living your lives. No, no. Go get this nigga. Hey, <laughs> hey, well, nah, man. We can do this tomorrow. Go it's get not, the, It's yeah. not a black funeral until something until many things go left but um yeah but just you know when i saw that scene in um this episode of the wire i'm like oh yeah white people try to tell black folks about racial experiences that ages incredibly well um right. also on a on a smaller and a lighter note um when bug and daquan and um michael were all playing look like connect four mm-hmm. um it was playing neos all because of you still a bop Still about. Still about. Oh, also the name of the package, Greenhouse Gas. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Still relevant. Still relevant. Still relevant. And that Neo is going hard. 
Definitely. So those are some of the things that age the best. Did you have anything for what aged the worst? I didn't have anything, too many things that aged the worst for me in this episode. I was trying to fish some out. I had like apathy of news gatherers because they were just watching the fire. <laughs> but I don't know. I was trying to fish. I didn't really have too many things this episode that aged the worst. What about you? I would definitely say the the I, the whole issue of budget cuts in newspaper aged incredibly bad, even though it's incredibly relevant. Did it age well, though? So I guess here's the way I look at it, is that it was such a short-term thinking that got newspapers in that kind of trouble. To think that they could continue to have 15 to 20% profit margins was just utterly ridiculous. And so when those profit margins didn't continue a lot of newspapers started really cutting and trimming to the bare bones. And now you have a situation where you have a monopoly in newspapers and media, or you have a newspaper where you're going to see like a lot of mistakes and a lot Mm -hmm. of different things that you would not have seen during that time, simply because a lot of them eliminated their copy editor staff. They've eliminated a lot of editors. So it was a short-sighted idea that had very short-term results and long-term, essentially may have killed the industry. So from that standpoint, it aged very poorly because it was such a poorly thought-out plan. But the sun is still around, still existing. And, you know, it's to people's own opinion, whether or not the, the papers is, is as good as it used to be. So mm. those are some of what aged the worst. Now let's talk about some, uh, some file this away for later moments. A lot of them. There's so many of them in this because, and and I guess that's pretty typical of when it's of episode, episode one. Yeah, because yeah. like they're setting, they're trying to set the table. And I think where this season will differ from the previous season is that we're going to get to stuff a lot faster right. because it's only 10 episodes. So what were some of the file this away for laters that you have? Oh man, obviously this the scene at the co-op it's a huge file this way later, a file this way for a later moment. Yeah. Yeah. And for multiple reasons, it's about Marlo being on his own agenda. Mm-hmm. It's about Prop Joe. And it's also about cheese. It's about the three of them. Absolutely. So I'll close, close up cheese. on cheese. Yep. Cheese is a rat. He's more like a rat. He's starting to smell the cheese. You had that. You had the beginning of the case on Clay Davis. The fact that, you know, Lester and Sidney are going to be going after Clay Davis. That's going to be huge and also hilarious throughout the throughout the rest of this season. You have McNulty's alcoholism coming back and the fact that he is going to be off the rails because he's going to be drunk the whole time. That is going to be a huge, huge deal. In some decision-making that McNulty is going to be involved in really pretty soon. You're going to get pretty, you're pretty much getting it right. You're getting right to it. You have Chris and Marlo trying to get to Sergey. That's a big one. That's a huge one. That is a father's away for a later moment in this episode. Um, you have Father's Away Latest with Bubbles. With Bubbles on his... Uh, you kind of see Bubbles at a crossroads. And you're following this away for later because you still don't know the way it's going to end up. Bubbles never gets to the finish line. So, you know, you kind of wonder about that. That's kind of all I had off the, like like written down. What else do you have? I definitely have um, Scott Templeton, the reporter. His Scott, ambi- yes. Scott, yes. his ambition. I'm sorry. Yes, his ambition and his talk about moving up. I mean, he he comes across as very entitled, um, very much a, a climber. And so those are two traits that pretty much wind up being a, a strong narrative for him this entire season. And so we're going to see how that brings out the worst in him. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, McNulty. Uh, he was the one who figured out that Chris went to the records office to look up Sergey's case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think with McNulty, it's sort of we're back to him being his own worst enemy. Right. And that's what we see a lot of is that he's self-destructing already. He ain't been in, he ain't been on major crimes about five minutes. And he right. is already back to doing all the shit that you know, he had sworn he left behind and mm-hmm. you're going to get pissed off McNulty, has to be right McNulty, self-righteous McNulty, who's willing to burn it all down just so he could prove how smart he is. Like all that you could see very clearly coming in this particular um, uh, episode. So yeah, we had a lot of the same file this away for later. Uh, as for trivia, as people note, as just like with every season of The Wire, 
new person sings the uh, theme song. So the person singing the, uh, singing the theme song for season five is actually Steve Earle. He is Waylon, mm-hmm. who plays Bubble Sponsor. That yeah. is who that is, singing the theme song. All right, Van, now on to the moment of we truth. Have to say, we have to say something about Steve Earle. Oh, yes. Oh, I, you're right. We should we should fill the story out. So Steve Earle, who also has addiction issues, mm-hmm. um, so he's very much, the character he's playing is very much speaking to some personal things that he has gone through himself. Right. And he's really a musician. <laughs> mm-hmm. That people should understand that, that they didn't just randomly pick him. Um, but he's... He uh, is a rock singer, rock and country, and rock country and folk, I think, um, would probably be the best uh, way to describe his his musical prowess. Um, but yeah, he, he's, uh, um, he's a songwriter as well and um, somebody who's uh, very respected, but obviously he was known um, for singing this particular song. Uh, for the wire, so Steve well, I, no, that's actually not what I was talking about. Was it's 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 a very sad situation. I'm not sure if you heard. Uh, Art unfortunately imitated life this year, and you know, I would like to send my condolences to Steve Earl because he lost his son this year to a drug overdose. No way, that I did not know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He lost his son this year to a drug overdose. I think his son passed away. I'm, and I'm just being made. I know that we've done a lot of podcasts since then. Uh, I'm just being made aware of this. Uh, his son passed away back in August. Um, and he plans to record a tribute album to his son. Uh, he was, I think, 38, 37 or 38 years old. But he, very, very, very sad. Steve Earle, who uh, is live, lived this in his real life, lived this in, on, in his on-screen life, and unfortunately had to live it all too realistically just recently uh, lost his son to what looks like a, a, a drug overdose. Wow, that is really sad. Yeah, Justin Towns Earl was his son's name. Very sad, especially considering how much Steve Earl has been through in his life. I mean, he's been very open about his addiction and talking about the fact that, you know, he had a heroin habit that almost killed him and how he used to do like $1,000 a day on heroin. And Jesus so, Christ. Yeah, he's also been married seven times. Wow. Uh, so he he has lived a life for sure. But that's just incredibly sad, especially considering how much he had to fight to get his life back together to, to see this happen to his yeah. own son. I'm sure it was just really awful. Okay, so thanks for expanding that trivia out, Van. Appreciate it. Sorry to bum you guys out, but I just thought it was it was important. To no, see no, him. definitely yeah. important context for sure. All right, now on to moment of truth. Who did you think won this episode? Mm, it was a hard one because it was, always, it was almost like a team effort. Uh, but in this, it, it, I went back and forth. I went back and forth, but I'm going to give it to Gus. I think Gus won this episode. Gus comes in. He, Gus breaks the big story. You get to see Narice kind of cursing a little bit. It was a character I don't really, I don't really dig her that much. No, no, she's terrible. But yeah, I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't really dig her that much. I don't really dig her. But yeah, no, Gus... Uh, he seemed to command, even though I'm not super fond of the newspaper aspect of it, he seemed to command. Uh, he had a very commanding presence this episode. And he broke the story. So I'm going to give it to Gus. And he not only, I mean, because he's the greatest editor of all time, he not only broke the story, he gave his reporter credit for breaking it. He could have right. taken the credit himself, but he was like, no, no, no. He found it at the bottom of the budget, right. which is, a, again, a sign of a, a fantastic editor who I'm not sure exists, but that's okay. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I get it. You know, David Simon, you have to make uh, a character based on, you know, who you wish would be um, in editorial and uh, content and overseeing content in newspapers, not exactly who winds up being there. So I think that's a good choice. For me, who I thought won the episode was Marlo. You know, Marlo right now, I mean, he's at the height of his powers. He's the man. He's the man. I mean, he's, even though he's in the co-op, he clearly has a more ambitious plan in mind. Major Crime Unit has taken down many a kingpin, as we have seen throughout the course of five seasons. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that he has them kind of backpedaling and running in circles and the carefulness and meticulousness that he has in, in, in his operation, relying on no technology, all face-to-face. Like, mm-hmm. Marlo got the game down quite flat, as they say. So I think he was like, he was definitely a winner in this episode. 
anyway, that is going to do it for us as we count down these final episodes of The Wire. Getting to the end, man. Yeah, I know. It's just, it is so much to come for sure. So thanks guys for hanging out with us. And as always, keep watching The Wire. Keep listening to us. We'll see y'all next time for episode two. 